Throughout much of 2020, we've all sort of been asking this question. When we entered shelter in place back in March, now that most of the country is headed for more restrictive COVID measures again, uh, we're sort of navigating an election cycle that's been anything but normal. And then I don't know about you, but this week, Godzilla wasps came through my online news feed. Now what? And on top of all that, we're also navigating relationships with people who are seeing each of these situations differently than we are. Uh, maybe some of it's masked or no mask. It's uh, news or fake news. Uh, is it uh, president again or president elect? And so we ask again the question, now what? Maybe for some of you, it's a little bit more similar feeling to when you spilled something on the ground and it was a million pieces, maybe like Legos, or you spilled some food or drink and you weren't sure where to actually begin cleaning up. And it sort of left us wondering, well, now what am I supposed to do? And maybe others of you, it's a little bit more positive in that. You look back to when you were uh, dropped off to college for the first time, or you uh, entered your first college class, or maybe you, you brought home your first baby from the hospital. And you sort of looked at the future, and the future seemed bright, or at least the future seemed out there a little bit. And you sort of asked, well, now what? And so we're continuing the series with these, dealing with these uncertain seasons of our lives, when we might ask the question, well, now what? And we start by looking at two stories of Jesus when he was challenging the people's certainty. And really, he challenged our certainty. And then last week, we looked at a different conversation that Jesus was having with his followers, asking the question, well, now, what do we do when we ask the question, now what? But the answer seems that it's going to require more of us than we actually have to give. And we said that Jesus seemed to indicate, I should say, that remaining in Jesus will help us to know what to do next. You can head to our YouTube channel to watch these messages again. Today, though, we're going to continue looking at the rest of that conversation that Jesus was having with his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this conversation is for you. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus yet or you're kind of new to the whole thing, um, I hope that this will be a conversation that will help you to understand the important potential in having a relationship with the creator of the universe. We're going to be in John chapter 15. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can open that up, click the more menu option, then select events and you can find our church. The notes and verses will also be in the notes section of the chat and on the screen as well. John chapter 15, again, this is a conversation that Jesus was having with his followers. Starting in verse 5, he says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. That Jesus would say, I have a role to play in this, that I am the vine. But Jesus would also say that you have a role to play in this and I have a role to play in this as well. That we are the branches. And Jesus is saying that if you remain in me, and remain is sort of a, a common, powerful word in the New Testament. And it kind of has the idea that if you live with, live together with, you stay connected with, you spend time with, you stay close to me, then I will produce fruit in your life. Now, we're going to get to a little bit of an illustration about what that remaining in me looks like in more of a modern day translation. But what is the fruit that he's talking about? Well, fruit in the New Testament is sort of the supernatural character changes that God can do in your life if you will stay close to him. It's sort of that thing inside of you that allows you to do what's right, allows you to have perseverance. It helps you to, to be kind, to, to be patient, to be self-controlled, to have peace in your life, really to have, the to have the kind of relationship, I should say, that Jesus wants you to have with him. That if we will remain and stay close to Jesus, then he will produce this kind of fruit or this kind of change or these kind of results in our lives. But then he makes a statement that's a little bit hard to swallow, to be honest with you. It's hard for me to swallow, at least. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus would say. 
that basically apart from me, you can't do what you need to do, that you can continue striving and working hard and trying to be a better version of you, but to become the person that I want you to be, Jesus would say, you need me to do that. You can't do that on your own. It's not in you. And for really all of us in this country right now, this is an incredibly important topic as we're sort of figuring out how to deal with and how to have relationships with and, and how to figure out how to treat the other side politically, um, religiously, or whatever demographic is separating you or making you look at somebody as the other group of people or those group of people. And it's sort of difficult to deal with those people who are different than us. And so how do we treat those people who really do see the world maybe differently than we do? Do we just sort of like retreat and withdraw and seclude ourselves from other people? Do we sort of get ready to fight and like bow up a little bit? Or do we simply just shrug our shoulders and like, well, I'm not really sure what to do. I'm just unsure, right? That's kind of our answer to the question. But for Jesus followers, this also becomes incredibly important as we think about how we're supposed to treat other people. To become the spouse or the dad or mom or to become the children or to become the people that Jesus would want us to be. To become the friend or the roommate. To become the member of this community that Jesus would want us to be. In light of what God has done for us, what does love require of us? Like if there's ever sort of a now what moment, that's a now what moment. Like now what do we do? That We have this expectation or responsibility as Jesus followers to love other people this way. And Jesus is going to give us a little bit more information. He says, this is my commandment, love each other. And the thing is, he starts off, this isn't too bad. When we look at it just on the surface, this part alone, it's kind of vague enough that we can kind of get around it a little bit that, yeah, love each other in general. Yeah, I love my spouse. Yeah, I love my kids. Yeah, I love my friends. But that guy at work, like, he's just annoying. And I don't really think I need to love him. And I don't think he's really lovable. So I don't really have to love him. Or that girl on social media, she keeps posting things constantly that I don't know how anyone could agree with that. So she's just kind of unlovable. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there with love each other. He sort of raises the bar and tells us what the standard is of how we're supposed to love each other. In verse 12, continuing, he says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, that's a different story, right? Like, that's kind of hard. That's difficult. And it's difficult because how did he love us? Well, Jesus is going to foreshadow for us how he's going to love them eventually. Because remember, at this point, he hasn't actually done it yet. So he says this in verse 13, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Like, you want to know how high of a standard it is? There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, than to sacrifice for someone else, to which we all sort of, I think, say like, well, now what do we do? Like, I can't do that. I don't think that's even in me to sacrifice my life for someone else. I hope I could, but I'm not sure that that's actually in me. And we wouldn't say it this way, but we sort of excuse away our inability to love people this way. We say, well, well, that guy at work, again, he's annoying, or that girl, again, on social media, or, or that neighbor who's just mean, or that mother-in-law, sister-in-law, friend, who they're just really difficult to be around. It's their problem. Like we excuse away our inability to love because of them. Like it's not our fault that he or she is just so difficult to love. If if they were more lovable, well, then I could love them. It would be easier to love them. And if we aren't careful, we view our inability to love other people as other people's problems and not our problem. That I can't love you, and it's probably because you're selfish, you're annoying, you're so messy, you're you're hateful. Maybe you're just difficult to love. And we probably look at each other the same way. You might look at me that way and I might look at you that way and say, well, it's actually not the other people. It's actually your problem. You might look the same thing at me. And the good news is you might be right and I might be right. But the bad news is 
they are not the reason that you can't love other people. That Jesus says the problem is that you have an inability to love other people, and it's not the other person's problem. It's your problem. It's you that is the problem. And um, the thing is, there's kind of an illustration I want to use to, to kind of demonstrate the rest of this for our time together, that um, you really know how valuable this is, right? Like it's an iPhone charging cord, a cell phone charging cord, and you really know how valuable this is when you don't have it, right? <laughs> when you go a season without it or a few, a few hours or days without it, you realize how, how important this is. And Jesus basically says, you are the charging cord. That's kind of like our modern day branch that we're supposed to be. That this is really us. That my command is for you to love other people. And so we say, okay, well, I'll try. I'm supposed to love other people as the phone's demonstrating other people. And so we, you know, we try to kind of plug it in and we, we try to get this thing plugged in there and we say, okay, I'm trying, like, I'm trying to love, but I don't know. It's like an old thing and it's just like not kind of working. And so we we blame the other person. That's what we do, right? Like it's their fault. This isn't working. And we sort of forget the fact that it's not actually connected to anything, but we blame the other person. We say like, well, they can't hold a charge or, or they have an outdated operating system of life. And you know, there's just something wrong with them. They just can't do it. And Jesus might say to us, maybe the problem isn't the other person. Maybe the problem is that it's not in you in yourself to charge them. You don't have this ability in your self to do what Jesus is actually asking us to do to love other people. It's not in us. We need him. So throughout the rest of our time, I'd love for you to keep in mind two different groups of people. Number one, who is most impossible for you to love? Uh, maybe you're sitting next to them right now, or maybe you're just in the same room as them right now as sort of a demonstration of the impossibility of loving them. But whoever they are, who in your life is so hard for you to love? Number two, who is most important for you to love? Because see, here's something I know about you and I know about me, that there are people in our lives that are difficult to love. And we might know we need to, we might know we're supposed to, we might even want to love them, but we also know that there's something in us that isn't able to actually love them as well as we know we're supposed to. That, that who at the end of their lives do you want to say, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he loved me. That whatever she did, it was because she loved me. So who's most impossible and who's most important for you to love? We'd also love for you to jump in the chat and share your answer to this. Isn't it interesting that the most impossible person to love is also the most important person to love? So we'd love for you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's my situation. That's where I find myself in. And Jesus says, if it seems like it's hard, it doesn't seem like it's in you to love the other person, that's because it's not actually in you to love them. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but it just means that it's not in you yourself. But it's actually way more possible than you might think. Continuing on John chapter 15, verse 9. I have loved you even as a father has loved me. And Jesus says, like, you can sort of think of God as father in sort of an intimate parent-child relationship. That as God has loved me, Jesus would say, I have passed that love on to you. That I took the love of God and I passed it on to you. And that's really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pass God's love on to other people. And then sort of how all this works, he continues on. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. And he says a key, key verse again, a key phrase, remain in my love. The Jesus sort of says, this is how it sort of all works. That as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. And I want you to stay close with, I want you to live with, I want you to remember, I want you to be cognizant of, I want you to continually consider and intentionally invest in the love that I have for you. Like, don't let go of it. Don't forget it. Don't move away from it. Stay close to it. 
And I want you to think about your reaction or sort of your feeling to a sentence that I'm going to say to you in a second. Think about what does this actually make me feel inside, okay? Here's the phrase, Jesus loves you. Like, I don't think any of you probably jumped up out of your chair and like clapping, yeah, so amazing. But what did that make you feel? For some of you, it maybe didn't make you feel anything. For others of you, you're like, yeah, I've sort of heard that a lot and sort of heard that a few times. Or maybe you've heard that once before, or you've seen a verse or something. And for many of us, this phrase has sort of become so redundant that it's sort of lost some of its meaning. It would sort of be like, for many of us, the word social distancing now compared to March. When we first heard that word in March, it was sort of like, well, this is a new phrase. I've never heard of that. And if you're like me, I was sort of like thinking, how am I supposed to know if I'm six feet away from other people? And knowing that I'm six foot three, I sort of thought, well, I'll just lay myself on the ground and then I could sort of know how far that actually is. But now all of us are sort of like, oh, social distancing, like we're just kind of tired of it. It's become so redundant. We've thought about it so much that we don't even really value it anymore, even though it's the thing or one of the things that might actually save our lives. And if we sort of take a step back from this phrase of Jesus loves us, we can sort of see that it, it sort of lost some of the meaning of what it was actually intended for. And for some of us, it might be sort of similar to, have you recently thought about how amazing flying is? Like, not just how amazing it would be to fly away from COVID, but have you thought about the first time that you ever flew? Do you remember the first time that you ever flew? Before I got married, I didn't really fly that much, but I remember the first time that I flew. I was flying to Florida and I was so excited, but I was also so nervous at the same time. And I had a few questions rolling around in my head. I was thinking, well, how does this plane that's so heavy stay in the air for so long, for several hours. And then I also sort of had this bigger question, like, am I actually doing this? Am I actually flying right now, sitting in this seat? Am I actually flying? Or is this like some sort of TV show with a huge, enormous, complex scene change in my life happening? And then I sort of thought, well, like, this is supposed to take all day. How is this happening in a few hours? It was amazing. The first time you fly, it's just sort of amazing. But then we sort of get used to it, right? And this idea that Jesus loves you is also amazing, but maybe we've become too used to it. You've probably heard the verse, John 3, 16, for God. What are the next two words? So loved. That God sort of created the whole universe and he sort of took all of himself and all of his creative ability and all of his divinity and he sort of crammed it down into a person. And he allowed this person to walk the earth to help show us what God is like and then to help show us what he thinks about us because Jesus loves us and because God loves us. And then throughout the end of his life, Jesus would willingly sort of go through this procedure of going through a trial of being accused of things that weren't really even doing anything wrong. It was really, he loved people too much. And so they convicted him really with no actual evidence. But then they sort of did these terrible things to him. They beat him. They used this Roman uh, torture instrument called a cat of nine tails, which was really a long leather whip with leather pieces attached to it that had stone and pottery and glass sort of woven into them. And they whipped him with that. And then that alone had killed many people. And do you know why Jesus would go through that for us? Because Jesus loves you. Then he was spit on and he was mocked. And then they sort of would put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they would tell him to carry his cross. And as he was carrying this cross, they hurled insults and threats at him because Jesus loves you. And then they would nail him to the cross through his hands and through his feet. And through all of that happening, Jesus would look up to his father and say, God, please forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. 
that Jesus would say, I've been loved by God and I've passed that love on to you and stay close to that love. Remain in that love that I have for you. Continuing on verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Now, some translations sort of make this a little bit more conditional than it actually is that if you love, if you, if you obey God's commandments, then God will love you. And maybe some of you felt that way or you've sort of been taught that from people before. Maybe some of you are in a season right now or maybe you were in a season previously where you know you weren't obeying God's commands. And you sort of wondered, does God love me? And here's the thing. The audience that was sitting in front of Jesus knew that God loved them. But they hadn't done anything good yet at this point. But they knew that God loved them through Jesus and the way that Jesus treated them. And the same is true for you. So if you choose to obey God's commands, it's not to earn God's love. We choose to keep his commands because we are loved. That loving others is an expression, not a condition of God's love. That loving others is an expression of how much God loves us and how we have been able to remain in that, stay close to that expression of love. That you couldn't imagine living without this love and you can't love without it. That your obedience to God's commands to love other people is really impossible without God's love. You really can't do it, as Jesus would say. That your ability to love those around you who you want to love and also those who are difficult to love really is, is contingent on it's only possible if you remain in his love for you. A pastor that I follow says this, you can have God's love without keeping his commands, but you can't keep his commands without having his love. We're talking about our iPhone charger and uh, iPhone and how to charge them. And until you understand how to charge your own iPhone, kind of simple, you won't be able to help anybody else charge their own phone. And until you understand how loved you are, you won't be able to love other people. And you might say, yeah, like I'm this branch and I'm trying to produce this fruit. I'm trying to help other people, but it just doesn't seem like it's working. It's really challenging and hard and it doesn't seem like things are happening. It just doesn't seem like it's in me to do this. To which I think God would say, yeah, it's not in you. I'm inviting you to remain in me, to stay connected, to stay close to me. And when you do that, I'm going to help show my love through you. That I'm going to empower you to love difficult people if you will remain connected and in me. So here are four ways that remaining in God's love will help you to love other people. Number one, remaining in God's love allows me to consider what a mess I was. That there's something to God's love that sort of makes us realize, I can't believe someone would love me like that because I was a mess or I am a mess. But when we remain in God's love, it'll change your life. It'll erase your mistakes. It'll forgive your past. It'll restore what was broken. It will redeem what was taken from you. And it will allow you to love the most impossible and most important people in your life if you remain in God's love. Number two, remaining in God's love really removes all our excuses not to love other people. That throughout history, we've created conditions for loving other people. Currently, people on both sides of the political spectrum are creating conditions for loving those on the other side. And sort of creating this idea that if we don't agree with these main points, then we can't be friends or we can't continue the relationship. It's almost as if we're telling God, God, they're just not lovable. And God would say, well, you weren't lovable. It's almost as if we're saying to God, well, God, they're selfish. And God says, well, you were selfish and I loved you anyway. 
We tell God, well, God, they're kind of like hateful people. And we say, and then God says to us, well, you're kind of hateful at times. And yet that didn't stop me from loving you anyhow. The fact that Jesus loved people who were unlovable, who were very selfish and hateful towards him, it sort of removes all of my excuses. Number three, remaining in God's love frees us to love difficult people. That whether they pay me back, give me back, or move in my direction at all, I'm going to choose to love them. And it's sort of freeing to say that, you know, I'm not loving you because you deserve it or because you earned it. I'm not loving you because I think you'll ever be able to say thank you or you could ever do anything about it. Because God loves me, I'm going to love you. Number four, remaining in God's love empowers us to do what love requires of us. That if you feel like you don't have it in you, if you sort of are saying to God, like, if you knew what they've done, if you knew who they were, if you knew how they treated me, if you knew how selfish and and just annoying they were, that I've tried, I don't have it in me, God, that they've sort of messed it up and they sort of are broken themselves. And Jesus says, as you remain in my love, through my love for you, I am going to help you love people that you thought were impossible to love before. That I'm not saying you should drop boundaries. Boundaries are usually good for us, and we usually need boundaries. But maybe you don't need to do business with them. Maybe you need to mute them on Facebook. Maybe they don't need to live in your house. But if you remain in God's love, you can love anyone. That remaining in God's love frees us to love difficult people. So I want to end our time together with a prayer that I found this week. I was listening to a podcast um, called The Space Between Us by the author of a book by that same title. And the subtitle is this, How Jesus Teaches Us to Live Together When Politics and Religion Pull Us Apart. Now, the author grew up in a very political environment with a father that actually had presidential aspirations. And she writes this prayer that we're going to close our message with today. Now, this might be a prayer that you need to pray this week as you're scrolling and talking on the phone. It might be a prayer that you need to pray as family gatherings get closer. It might need to be the prayer that you pray during digital family gatherings this year. So here's the prayer. May this prayer help you remain in God's love so you are free to love difficult people. For family near and peaceable, Lord, we give thanks. For family far and conflicted, Lord, we give thanks. For the ones easy to love, Lord, we give thanks. For the ones we fight to love, Lord, we give thanks. For people who see as we see, Lord, we give thanks. For people we don't understand, Lord, give thanks. We give thanks. For people who don't understand us, Lord, we give thanks. For easy conversation and expressed affection, Lord, we give thanks. For gentle discord within our discourse, Lord, we give thanks. For unity, not sameness, Lord, we give thanks. For charity in all things, Lord, we give thanks. For a world that reflects your goodness, Lord, we give thanks. For humankind that bears your image, Lord, we give thanks. For a day when we'll delight in our differences and not just tolerate them, for a gathering of every tribe and every language, for a table and a feast today, anticipating the one we'll enjoy with you someday. Lord, we give thanks. Amen.